This morning we are uh, continuing in our series in John, and we are finishing up chapter one. Uh, If you're here with us last week, we uh, looked into the person and message of John the Baptist. And from his life, what we saw uh, was a man with great boldness and deep humility, right? John lived his entire life uh, for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. And so what we said is that we need to make that the aim of our lives as well. Amen? Well, now today, uh, as we we finish up John chapter 1, what we're going to see here is the calling of the first disciples. Uh, Jesus... Uh, calls a few individuals, uh, four in particular, to follow him. It's a really simple text this morning, uh, but it's filled with some powerful gospel truth of what happens when we decide to follow Jesus Christ with our lives. And so let's jump into this text uh, together now. Uh, I'm sure you could see when Paul was reading, there's a lot of text to work through today. And so I want to get right into this, starting in verse 35, which is where we left off last last week. Uh, If you remember, uh, Jesus had approached John uh, and the crowd. And John looks at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. And now we arrive at the next day, the day after this takes place, And the text tells us this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So we recall that John the Baptist has established this extremely powerful ministry. There's a a great ministry that he has has established. Uh, He is out in the wilderness uh, preaching about the kingdom of God. He's calling people to repentance and baptizing people in that repentance And in that, he had developed this following, which we we now see here in this text. Two of his disciples are standing there with him. Two of his followers are are right nearby. Men who had been learning from him. Students who have been under his care. And then apparently, Jesus walks by the three of them, and John says something that's familiar to us, especially if you are here last week says, and he looked at Jesus, John the Baptist, as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So we talked about this a lot last week, but now we see that same powerful phrase, that powerful message. John shifts the focus off of him and puts the focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, look at him. He's talking to his disciples. Consider him. Shift your attention to him. Look at Jesus. And I said this a lot last week, but it's worth repeating. Our lives as well are meant to point other people to Jesus. This is what we're meant to do. And not just to point others to Jesus, but also to live our lives in such a way that points other people to Jesus. That our lives, the way that we live our lives, should cause people to consider Jesus Christ. Well, then the text continues. This is verse 37 now. The two disciples heard him say this, and so they followed Jesus. It's a pretty, pretty quick transfer. They followed Jesus. So we see that John the Baptist uh, effectively, we could say, succeeds in his mission, Right? 
He fulfills his purpose. He points his own disciples, those who are with, it, with him, following him, those he had influence over, he moves them away from himself and towards Jesus. And so they follow John's advice and they go and leave to be with Jesus. And again, we, we said this last week, but I, I don't want to move past this point that there's such amazing humility here demonstrated by John the Baptist. This can't be overlooked. Right? There's probably some, some pride, right? Uh, at least temptation for pride. You have these people following you, looking up to you, learning from you, and now you've said, nope, no longer. I, you're not with me anymore. Go, go with him. I don't want anybody following me anymore. Go, go with him. Well, then Jesus, next verse, Jesus turned and saw them following. So these two, John's former disciples. By the way, we know that this, this is Andrew, and John the Apostle, okay, John, the writer of this, he won't say his name for a while, but it's Andrew and John. Jesus turns and says to these two, what are you seeking? It's the first time we hear from Jesus. He's already got a question. What are you seeking? Or another translation says, what do you seek? Or, or what are you looking for? What is it that you guys are after? Jesus asks, why are you following me? And let me be really, really clear here. When, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, all right? Uh, Jesus knows everything, which means what we have here is not Jesus trying to understand, right? He knows what they're after. But in his question, or in his questioning, he wants them to clarify their own hearts and their own minds. This is why Jesus asks them this here. He wants to help them realize what they are doing and the purpose for why they are doing it. He wants them to have assurance about this. And you know, it might be worth asking yourself this very same question today. If I were you, I would ponder it. I'll make you ponder it at the end of the sermon even. If you're here today and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's worth asking, why? Why are you following Jesus? Why do you follow? Why are you here? What are you looking for? Because, you know, it's possible to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons, right? We'll see that later, particularly with one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas Iscariot. See, we can follow Jesus because we're looking for our own opportunities. Uh, maybe we follow Jesus because we believe it's going to lead me to a life of blessing. Uh, there are a number of bad motivations for following Jesus. Or you can follow him because you believe that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can follow him because you know that you have sin in your own life and in your heart and that you need saving. And so you choose to follow him. So Jesus asks, what are you two seeking? Why are you coming after me? What are you looking for? And they give a wonderful answer. They pass the test, I think. And they said to him, Rabbi, it's good, <laughs> which means teacher, and they ask him, where are you staying? So we see they give Jesus honor and respect here. 
And they ask him in English, where are you staying? And what that means is, okay, much better translation, is we want to be with you. That's what they're really saying. We want to sit with you and hear your story. Uh, we want to learn about this man that our former teacher, John the Baptist, told us all about. We've heard so much about you. Now we want to sit with you, be with you, and learn from you. That's what they're saying. Teach us, Jesus. You're our new teacher. We want you to be our new teacher. And so he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour, it's about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. They stay with him the rest of that evening. Jesus spends the day teaching them. And we aren't told exactly what is said, but I'm sure a lot of it was similar to what Jesus did during one of his last meetings after his resurrection with two other disciples on what's known as the road to Emmaus. You remember this story? Uh, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He sees these two men, goes alongside of them, and they go and sit down in a house, and what does Jesus do? He takes them through the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures and points to himself there. He shows them. This is me, this is about me, this is who I am, this was prophesying about me, this is the promise, I fulfilled this, 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 all the way through. I believe that's what Jesus did with these two, Andrew and John. And I'm certain that this is what Jesus did, actually. He opened the scriptures with them and showed them, I'm the Lamb of God, John was right, your teacher was right. I am the Son of God, I'm the Son of Man who takes away your sin, I'm here. And the reason I'm certain of that is because look at the response that comes from this meeting with Jesus. <clears throat> it says this, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So what happens here? What we see is that immediately after spending the afternoon with Jesus, learning from him and listening to him, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon and he says to him this extremely powerful statement. He says, we have found the Messiah. We, we found the Christ, the Savior. After spending one day, less than that really, just a few hours with Jesus, Andrew is convinced we found him, the savior of the world. And I don't want us to miss what the writer John is doing here. Don't miss what John, the writer, is doing here. Because remember, remember, this whole gospel, this whole book is about building his case that Jesus is God. John wants to prove to us that Jesus is the Christ. And so last week we saw the testimony of John the Baptist, okay, that that is true. And now we have Andrew's eyewitness testimony that this is true. There is no doubt, absolute certainty, we have found the Messiah. That's what Andrew says. And then what does Andrew do? He brought him to Jesus, his brother. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. I love that simple phrase here that follows Andrew telling Peter about Jesus. It says, then he brought him to Jesus. I love that. I love that. 
simple, easy to overlook. I love that. He, and then he brought him to Jesus. And again, uh, this is what we, we do. This is our calling as well, right? This is our mission as followers of Jesus. We point other people to Jesus. We, we talk to other people about Jesus, and we bring others to the person of Jesus Christ. This is how the kingdom of God advances to the nations, we bring others to Jesus. We, we go to our workplace with intentionality. We, we go to the coffee shop with a purpose. The way that we shop even. Everything that we do should be purposeful with the intent of pointing to Jesus, vocalizing about Jesus, and bringing others to Jesus. Understanding that we are always living our life on mission. Always. We don't go and do evangelism. You are an evangelist. You are a missionary. It's not just reserved for those who you know, pack all their bags, sell everything, and move halfway across the world. There's a special calling for that, but it's, but it's not just for them. You are a missionary as well. Wherever you work, eat, shop, play. This is what you do. It's your calling. Andrew brought him to Jesus. So now, Jesus is in front of Simon because of Andrew. And we see here, Jesus prophetically speaks over Simon and his life. So powerful, these words, particularly if you, if you know about Peter. <laughs> you know what's going to happen to him over the next three years, if you've read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, we studied those over the last two years together, actually. This is the moment, right? This is it. This is their first meeting. He speaks to who Simon will become. He says this to him, you shall be called Cephas, or Peter, which means stone or rock. Jesus says to him, Simon, I know you. I know who you are. But after following me, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you and your life, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be solid. You're going to be a foundational piece to what I am building across the world. And of course, we know three years later, this is Peter's story. Peter will become courageous for the gospel a powerful preacher, bold in his witness. He was a rock who proclaimed the truth on which the church was built. So it's really amazing what Jesus does here. He changes, changes Simon's name, actually, to Peter. But what Jesus was ultimately doing here is changing Simon's identity. It's not about a name. It's about his identity. And of course, we know that God has a tendency of doing this all throughout the scriptures, right? Just think of Abram, whose name became Abraham. Or think about Jacob, whose name became Israel. This is what God does when people choose to follow him. He gives us a new identity. This is what he does for you. It's what he's done for me. When we put our faith in Jesus, we too are changed. Our identity is changed. We are actually transformed. We were lost, but now we are found. 
We were blind, but now we see. We were in darkness, but now we're in the light. We were condemned, but now we are forgiven. We were in bondage, but now we are set free. We were dead in our trespasses, but now we've been made alive with him, the person of Jesus Christ. We were alone, isolated, without hope or help, but now God has brought us into his forever family as sons and daughters. Amen? So Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. Simon meets Jesus and his identity is forever changed. And that doesn't mean that from now on, Peter always does the right thing. It doesn't mean that now Peter's just, his name is rock, so he always acts like this solid foundational rock. Nope. Peter makes a lot of mistakes. Some of the biggest ones we read in the scriptures, actually. But this is at least the start of Peter becoming who Jesus called him to be. And again, this same principle is true for you and I as well. That if we belong to Jesus, we are in the process of becoming who Jesus called us to be. It doesn't mean that we will live perfect lives. But if you truly follow Jesus, your life is being transformed. It should be. And so the question we should ask ourselves as followers of Jesus is do we see that in our lives? Do we see that process of transformation? Are you becoming something new? Are you becoming what you were not? Can you see those markers in your life? Does 2023 look different than 2022? You look back at 2020, do you see a different person? A better person? A more Christ-like person? Is Jesus changing you? If not... Okay, there needs to be some consideration, some questioning. Let's continue, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, now, it's very likely that Peter and Andrew were there with Jesus now. They're following him into Galilee. John is likely there as well. But again, John always leaves himself out of the narrative, okay, at least halfway through the gospel. He never mentions himself, but he is likely there as well. And they are on their way to Galilee. And we are told that either very close to there or right as they enter in there, they find this man. Maybe they go to his home or his workplace, They find this man named Philip, who's from the same town, Bethsaida. It's a very, very small fishing village. You can go there even today. Same town as Andrew and Peter, and so they are likely already friends. We don't know what happened in the conversation, but Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And Philip says, yes. He joins the team, if you will. But whatever happened in their discussion must have been impactful, just like it was for Andrew. We're not told the content of the discussion, but we can see the impact of the discussion because from that conversation, Philip goes and finds another friend and look at what he tells him. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Excuse me. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is fully convinced, right? Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. The word became flesh and is here with us. The one who the whole Old Testament told us about is now here. We really found him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look at Nathaniel's response. Uh, by the way, I think it's worth you noting because there could be some confusion here. In the rest of the New Testament, this is actually Bartholomew. Okay? So only John calls him Nathaniel. So you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, you read, and there's this man named Bartholomew following Jesus. You're like, who is that? Right? This is, this is Nathaniel. Okay. Two names, same person. This is verse 46 now. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love this. <laughs> and Philip said to him, come and see. We have, your first, uh, we have our first disciple who's not led with their emotions, but with their mind. The first two, yeah, like, let's go, right? I wanna follow, we want to be where you are. We want to sit with you, right? Now you have two friends who are like, you know, we found him. Who is he? Right? From Nazareth. Jeez, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Right? Interesting response, right? A little bit negative. <clears throat> but we have to understand that Nazareth was a disdained town. It was nothing. I was going to give an example in Korea of like a, a nothing town, but I, I was afraid I'd risk offense. Okay? You could think like if you're from a big city, I'll use my own hometown. I'll do that. Okay, I'm from a town you've never heard of called Ilion, New York, I-L-I-O-N. 7,500 people, three stoplights, okay? It's nothing. Has anything good ever come out of Ilion? Hey, that's what it would be saying. Anything, ever? Right, we're from New York City. That's what New York City people would say about Ilion. Has anything ever come out of Ilion? That's the idea here. Not only that, though, we have to also understand Joseph... Joseph was also a nobody. Jesus is the son of God. We know this. Born of a virgin. But the man who raised him, the man who was his earthly father, raised him as a father, was this man named Joseph. And he was just this regular old guy. We don't know much about him, actually. Uh, actually, most of the New Testament is silent about him. We think he probably died when Jesus was young. Okay, historical records tell us that. We don't know much about him. So this whole thing seems a bit odd to Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Forget about the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Can anything good come out of that place? And Philip responds simply. Love it. I love the response. There's not a defense. He doesn't give the argumentation like I would do. He just says this. Come and see. Love it. Come and see. What we are seeing right from the beginning in this gospel, and you see it all throughout the gospels, right from the beginning here is that when people see Jesus for who he truly is, their immediate response is to go tell others about him with confidence. There's so much confidence here. You can picture it, right? Philip grabs his friend and says, let's go, come and see. 
Come and see who this man is for yourself, right? There's excitement here. Ask him all your questions and, and you'll find out who he is. You're going to be amazed by him, just like I was, just like Peter, right? So he does. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Unbelievable. <laughs> Can't imagine this. Jesus sees Nathanael, and his first response is, wow. A true, he's literally saying, a true Israelite, a real Jew, that's what he's saying. In a nation amongst a people group where, where so many had gone their own way, when, when so many had turned away from the Lord, Jesus sees Nathanael coming, and his first response is, Amazing. Someone who is truly following the Lord, a man with integrity, is standing in front of me. And what Jesus is doing here is actually revealing himself to Nathaniel. It's interesting. He's sort of, he's praising Nathaniel, but he's revealing himself at the same time. Because what he's doing here is he's revealing Nathaniel's spiritual condition supernaturally, right? He's never... He's never had a conversation with Nathaniel. They've never seen each other. And he's like, oh, wow, I know all about you. That's what he's saying. Inwardly, I know your condition. And so Nathaniel, of course, responds to that. Nathaniel said to him, of course, again, he's the mind guy, right? So he says, how do you know me? How do you know me? How do you know anything about me? That's what he's really saying. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now please understand, Jesus isn't saying here, what he's not saying here is just very clear from the text. He's not saying here, like, I physically saw you at a distance with my eyes. Like, hey, we're on the boat going, coming by, and I saw this fig tree in the distance, and like, I saw you sitting under there in the distance. You didn't see that I saw you, but I, but I saw you. That's not this, okay? Jesus did not physically see Nathaniel under a fig tree. What Jesus is saying is, Nathaniel, I see everything about you and I know everything about you. He's doing two things here. He's saying, I know your spiritual condition, I see you on the inside, but here you need to know something else as well. I, I, yes, I see your heart, but also I see you on the outside. Where you are, what you're doing all the time, I see you. I see you even when my eyes don't see you. This is one of those moments in the scriptures in the Bible where I wish I was there. Someday... If, you know, we get to the kingdom and we can do the whole, like, rewind thing, right? The illustration of this keeps changing. It used to be, like, videotape rewind, then it was, like, DVR. I don't know what it is anymore. Like, YouTube and have, I don't know. What's the illustration? But if we can go back and replay and be at events, this is one of them. Not a lot of people will probably be there. I'll be at this one, right? Everybody else will be at the Red Sea. This is one of the ones I want to be at because this is one of those moments I just want to be next to Nathaniel, 
And I wanna, I'm not gonna look at Jesus, I wanna look at Nathaniel's response. He would have been in shock. This is a wow moment, it would give you chills. This man is saying, I see you, everything about you, inside, outside, I know you. It wowed Nathaniel because now he's convinced. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I want us to see what John the Apostle, the writer of this gospel, has done for us now. Because the testimonies are growing, right? The testimonies are growing for us. We had John the Baptist, and now today we have Andrew, we have Peter, we have Philip and Nathaniel. First person eyewitness account saying, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You have the same nature as God. We've heard all these declarations. You are deity. You are king of Israel. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one who's come to reign. We have found the Messiah. We have found the promised one through Moses. We found the promised one through the prophets. Is the word become flesh? (laughs) Well, then Jesus answers Nathanael's declaration of faith. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I read that as a question, but actually, this is less of a question and more of a statement. Jesus is saying, the reason that you believe in me, Nathaniel, is because I'm all-knowing, yeah? Because <laughs> I'm omniscient, yes? Well, that's good, but if you're going to put the stake of your belief in that truth, that could be a little bit fragile. And so Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. I'm going to strengthen that faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it's okay that you trust me because I proved to you that I know you. (laughs) It's good that you started to believe in me, but that's not going to be enough. So I'm going to show you far greater things. That's what Jesus is saying here. But what does he mean by greater things? What are those greater things? Well, as we'll see as we work through the Gospel of John, particularly starting next week even, the next three years of the disciples following Jesus are going to be filled with miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle. That's partly what the last verse of chapter 1 is telling us, and this is our last verse for today. Jesus says this. He says, you're going to see greater things than these, and then he says this. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the first time that we see this phrase, truly, truly, in John's gospel, but we're actually going to see it another 24 times. Okay? Every time you see it, you should underline it, highlight it, or circle it. Okay? It is a key word for John, key phrase for John. It's an oral culture. A lot of people in that culture cannot read, they cannot write, they listen. So John's gospel is being read. This would be a point where you would listen. So if I was going to read all this, the whole gospel of John, and, I, and you, you know, the gospel of John will take you like 35 minutes to read in a sitting, something like that. About 35 minutes, if I was up here reading for 35 minutes, most of you could not stay with me, right? That's just the reality. It doesn't say anything about you, it probably says more about me, okay? But what, it, what the help would be those trulies. 
So every time you were kind of like this, and you heard me say, truly, truly, perk up. Listen, this is important. And then I'd say some stuff, and you kind of drift and look at your watch, and then I'd say, truly, truly, and then you'd listen. Okay, so this means listen. Listen. I have something compelling to tell you. What I'm going to say is true, yes, but it's also amazing. <laughs> it's something you need to know. And so Jesus says here, you will see heaven open and the angels of God coming and going on the Son of Man. Sounds pretty incredible, right? But what is that? Well, the, the four of them knew, 100%. He didn't have to explain. The reason for that is because this is a direct reference, actually, to Genesis chapter 8. It's almost quoted ver verbatim. Uh, in that chapter what we have is one of the most interesting events that takes place in all of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Certainly, it's one of the most interesting events that takes place in the life of Jacob. It's otherworldly, actually. And essentially, here's what happens. Jacob falls asleep. He puts a rock down in the sand, falls asleep on it, and he has this dream. And in this dream, more like a vision, this out-of-body experience, if you will, unexplainable, Jacob sees, in the English version of your Bible, it'll say ladder, okay, ladder, Jacob's ladder, we call it. It's actually, that's kind of a poor translation. It's more like a staircase. So Jacob sees this staircase that starts on the earth and reaches the top of heaven, he says. And on that staircase, what he sees after that is all these angels ascending and descending up and down the stairs. And then he gets the big picture. He sees the Lord above the staircase. And the Lord says this to Jacob, speaks to Jacob. He says, I am with you wherever you go. I'm going to provide for you, take care of you. I'm going to keep my promise to you, the promise that I gave to your father Abraham, the promise that I gave to your father Isaac. I am going to keep my covenant with you and with your people, and you will be blessed to be a blessing to the nations. So there is this great promise and assurance given to Jacob there that evening. And I, and I, I don't have time to get into the whole story there with Jacob, but you, you can read it. But Jacob really needed that vision. He really needed that dream. He needed to hear that promise. He was in a place of desperation and despair. He was broken. He thought his life was over. He had actually left the promised land, left his family. He was on the run, running for his life. He thought he was going to die. He wanted to die. It was, it's severe depression, and that's when he has this dream. Jacob needed it. So he wakes up from this, and he is in awe. He is amazed that he encountered God. He saw the Lord. And so what he does is he calls the place, he renames that piece of land Bethel, which means the house of God. Okay? It's very important. Okay? He renames the place the house of God because that was the place where God revealed himself to Jacob and revealed his plans to Jacob. And so... Follow me now. We turn now over to John chapter 1, and what we see Jesus do here in John 1 is borrow the same idea. He says, 
you're going to see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying here is, you're going to see heaven's power unleashed in my ministry and on my life. You're going to see supernatural works. You're going to see the authority of heaven working in me and working through me. But more than that, more than that, hear me now, here's the key. What Jesus was telling those who would listen by alluding to Jacob's staircase is that I am, Jesus saying, I am the new house of God. I am the new gate of heaven. You see, Jacob had this dream and he saw heaven opened. Right? Heaven opens and makes a way. Heaven and earth are, are visible together. There's a way. Right? There's angels on this staircase. He, he heard from the Lord and says, I have encountered God. And now Jesus says, listen, if you are with me, you have encountered God. Oh, it's through me, Jesus says, that God is now revealed. It's through me now that there's a staircase. It's through me that heaven and earth are connected. It's through me that there's a pathway to the Father. So Jesus says to Nathaniel, Oh, I'm, I'm glad you believe in me because you trust that I know all things. Oh, I am omniscient, absolutely. But you're going to see even greater things than that. You're going to see that I am the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. Just wait till chapter 2. Just wait till you see all the miracles. Just wait till you see the empty tomb. Watch what that does to your faith. And so with that, we learn now that Nathan follows along with the others. He joins the team. There's four now. And what I want to say about his story, Nathaniel in particular, something I think we can all take away from his call here, something that we can take away from his testimony, there's really two things. On the one hand, we have this amazing truth that he comes to know the Savior, Right? He comes to know the Savior. That's an incredible truth on its own. That if you follow Jesus, you come to know the Savior. It's amazing on its own. But on the other hand, I want us to see that Nathaniel here, Nathaniel here finds himself to be truly and fully known. He doesn't just know Jesus. He comes himself to be fully and truly known. And for us today, this is the great invitation of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That when you understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do, we find ourselves most known and most loved. We are fully known and yet at the same time truly loved by Jesus. You see, for so many of us in our culture, Maybe this is a coworker for you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's you. Being fully known is absolutely terrifying. Being known is, is a scary thought. Because we know how wicked we are. We know. We know how messed up our lives really are. We know our thoughts. We know what we do in the quiet places. We know what we, we think about and dwell on. 
which is why we go to the extent of, we get around people and we put these masks on, right? We put up, even in a place like this, we put up these walls in front of people, right, that, so that no one can really see our true selves, right? Some of you, you dread that five minutes of fellowship time. Not just because you're introverted. Some of you, you dread it because you gotta come up with something to say about yourself, put on that face for five minutes when in reality, you're not okay. Life is not okay. And so we live with this, this sense of I can never have anyone know what's really going on in my life or my heart. Because then I'd, I'd truly be alone. I feel alone now. But, but then I'd truly be alone. But Nathaniel here has this moment when he realizes that Jesus knows me fully and inescapably. And yet, Jesus remains with him, right? And you might be thinking here today, you read that, you hear that, and you might be thinking, if that was me, if Jesus saw me totally and completely, there is no way he would respond the same way. The things I've done, where I've been, the thoughts that I've had, But here's the truth. You need to know this today as we come to a close. Here's the reality. No matter who you are here today, listening online, even watching online, the reality is you are fully known by Jesus. (laughs) Whether you like it or not, you are fully known. And the good news of the gospel is that even in your sin, even in your wickedness, even in your rebellion, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is saying to you today, follow me. I want to be with you. You're invited. Just like Andrew, just like Peter, just like Philip, just like Nathaniel. Listen, we need to know. We have to to know this today as the body of Christ. We need to know today that Jesus is still calling people to follow him. He's still in that business. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, I believe with all sincerity of my heart, not as as a trickery, not with good words, because I believe in the gospel and I believe in, in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I believe that he is calling you. He's saying to you, follow me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. And if you do that, like Peter, you'll get a new identity. You'll be transformed. You'll you'll begin that process of becoming the person that God designed you to be. You'll find joy. You'll find life. You'll find true contentment and satisfaction. And if you do this, if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to follow him, like Nathaniel, you'll, you'll know Jesus but also you'll come to to know that you are fully known by him. 
This is the gospel. This is amazing grace. And listen, for, for those of us who already do follow him, and I know that's a, the vast majority of us here, there is a, a great message for us here in this as well. It's back to that first question that Jesus asked. Why are you seeking me? Why are you following Jesus? Is it to know him? Is it to be known by him? Is it just to be with him? Is it because you recognize your need for him? Or are you following him because of what you believe you can get from him? No matter where you stand today, all of us in this room, the, the, the message is this today from the end of John 1. Simple message today. Come and see. That's my invitation for you today. Come and see. For the first time or for the thousandth time, come and see. Come and see the King. Come and see the Messiah. Come and see the Anointed One. I'm inviting you today. Come and see the Promised One. Come and see Jesus. For when you do, you'll be fully known and forever changed. Let me pray for you. I'll ask the praise team to join me uh, back on the stage.